What do you think? Will the pandemic cause churches to tank? Welcome to WCKS, where we can't keep silent about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you're back with me to focus ourselves on our Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord. I'm your host, Michael Russell. To recap, this is the part two of our episode, Will the Pandemic Cause Churches to Tank? Uh, On the first episode, we focused our attention on one of two articles that we're looking at that really simply juxtaposed the idea of in-person fellowship to streaming online to watch church service. And whether or not after the pandemic is done and everything's unlocked, uh, people will or will not come back to in-person service. And we argued last time, I argued last time, that I think it's biblical that we, that we meet in person as often as we can. We should not let things get in our way of doing that. And yet I also caution that if you're sick or, or there's some real reason why you should not be in the midst of other believers for their sake, for their health, for example, that's the more loving thing to do. But we should be calling upon elders and uh, leaders in the church to come and pray and lay hands on us, anoint us with oil, as Scripture tells us, in trust and hope that God will heal us and then get back into fellowship with them. However, to recap this episode, uh, if you missed the first episode, please go back and uh, check it out. Uh, this episode, we will be focusing, this is part two, we'll be focusing on uh, financial uh, the, the article that dealt with financial stuff. Um, the article that deals with financial stuff was uh, published on August 27th, 2020. The first article we looked at last time, which is just simply in-person versus streaming online, was published on August 17th, 2020. Um, the second one, uh, which is the one we're going to be looking at today, the title of the article was Barna President... One in five churches may shut their doors because of the pandemic. We finished the discussion on what Scripture had to say about meeting together in person last time, and that it was an imperative, a command, and it served to build up the body, to love the body, to encourage one another, to bring worship and praise to God, which is most important, And this week, as promised, we're shifting to the discussion on more of a financial-related article and see what Scripture has to say about that. One thing the article did discuss, the article about one in five churches might be closing due to financial reasons, it said, quote, I think also it's really going to change the way people think about their donation relationship with local churches as well. There's, there has to be even greater demonstration of the value that a church brings, not just to those who attend, but also those who are part of this community, end quote. And I'll be honest, <laughs> when, I, when I read that part of the article, I, I was moved in my heart. I was upset. And the reason I was upset, just in the cursory read of that that uh, quote I just made, was that it was almost, um, you know, it was almost um, not blackmail, but um, extortiony. 
maybe is the, is the right word, where it's like, well, you know, if I don't like the way you're doing things, I might just hold back my money. Now, with that kind of an attitude, if indeed that's the attitude, granted, I'm reading into it a little bit, but if that's the attitude, that alone is a problem. That alone is a problem. For you to take that kind of attitude of, of authority and manipulation is not godly. Philippians chapter 2 says we should have the mind of Christ who, though he was God, did not struggle with equality to God, with God, a thing to be grasped after, but emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a slave, the form of a human. And we know that the reason he came to earth was not to judge the world, but to save it. He came to serve us. He died on a cross for us. Our attitude needs to be like that. We need to esteem others more important than ourselves. So to take an attitude of, oh, you don't do what I'm, I'm telling you to do? You don't, you don't do it the way I like it? Then I ain't going to give you any money. That is, in and of itself, a sinful attitude. However, as I, re- as I read it and wrestled with it and prayed, with it, prayed to God about, okay, what is this telling me? What do we need to do? How should I look at this? I began to think that, slow it down, Mike. Slow the roll. On the one hand, this could simply be a misunderstanding of what giving is in the local church. Or, or maybe it's a misunderstanding of trusting God. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of God's sovereignty and how he ultimately establishes and moves leadership's heart. I mean, Proverbs uh, 21 the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it as he would, like a water course. You can look at Romans 13. God establishes all government. I mean, there's passages all over the place that talk about his sovereignty. So is this, a, is this just a misunderstanding of those givers of the sovereignty of God, that if we give... And we give to God and trust that the money we're in, you know, uh, you know, giving to this group of humans uh, are going to be uh, used properly. The fact is, I mean, there's misuse all the time. There's there's sin that encro- encroaches every person's life, including believers. So do we just all of a sudden live a life of, of judgment and untrust about everything and then isolate ourselves? We already talked about Proverbs 18. He who isolates himself focuses on his own desires. (laughs) And he rages against all sound judgment. So, is that all what it means? Or maybe there's accountability involved here. That if a church is actually in trouble because their uh, moral and ethical character is questioned, or, or, uh, you know, the, the approach to Scripture is liberal or, or unbiblical or something like that, or a pastor gets wind of, of a new teaching that's out there and buys into it, and it's, it's deviant from Scripture. You know, these could be reasons why you would hesitate on giving money to a particular church, but I think there's steps you should take and uh, to be biblical yourself if there's concerns about a, a deviant act or or a concern about, you know, uh, misrepresenting scripture or something like that, you go to the person, kind of a Matthew 18 thing. Not as a judge, but as a concerned brother or sister in Christ. But if over time you are convinced that this this uh, leadership team, this this person or whatever, is not interested in submitting, 
then maybe you you might need to find a different church or something like that. And I know that is a pandemic here alone in America that if you don't like this one, go to that one. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if we genuinely, legitimately, biblically attempt to bring restoration and that leadership is uninterested and you cannot remove them for whatever reason, you know, disciplinary action and so on, you may be drawn to find a different fellowship, okay? So all of that to say, if the context of the the little uh, quote that I made um, is related to those things, the quote is, quote, I think also it's really going to change the way people think about their donation relationship with local churches as well. There have to be even greater demonstrations of the value that a church brings, not just to those who attend, but also those who are part of this community. So in light of that passage, I'm saying these things. It's either a misunderstanding. It's, it's either a sinful attitude of the heart of those that are giving, or it's a misunderstanding of what giving is all about, or it's maybe a lack of faith that God's really in control, so we need to be obedient to God to give, or you're being a wise steward to say, eh, I'm a little concerned about this church and I don't want to be giving money to a church that isn't really honoring God. There's a lot to that. So I recognize that and I back off a little bit and I say, okay, though I was struck with this as I pondered these things, I, I, I had to ask myself, what is the point of giving? And and. And who do we give to? Are we bringing money to the church to give to Pastor Jorge? Or are we bringing money in obedience to God to support the body and specifically the leaders of that congregation, for example? The pastors, the, the dedicated vocational leaders that have devo devoted their lives uh, in the ministry. Okay? Well, my conviction is that we're not giving to man, we're giving to God. Okay? So when God gave Moses the law for the people to bring offerings of many kinds, it was to bring the offering to him, to the temple, for him. It's a worship to him. Now, if you remember your history, God gave Moses, I beg your pardon, the, the nation of Israel was broken up into 12 tribes. And God promised a promised land, and when they finally made it into the promised land, part of the promise was they were going to get land. <laughs> but only 11 of the 12 tribes got land. The tribe of Levi did not get land. In fact, their inheritance, not being land, was God himself. God was their possession. Now, as a Christian man looking at that, it's clear that I would I would <laughs> I would choose that one. I would choose God as my uh, inheritance, not land. Even though I personally, as a human, would love to have a big piece of land with a beautiful forest on it and and a beautiful flowing lake and and river in there and all that stuff, but in comparison. Give me, give me God. Okay. That, though, brought a problem in a human 
sort of way. And that problem was those that had land could grow their food and they could raise their meat, their, their animals, or eggs from the chickens and things like that. Whereas the Levites didn't have land. So what? how are they going to eat? How are they going to live? How are they going to have clothing and di different things like that? Well, part of the tithe and offering, Old Testament tithe, 10%, a tenth, that was given to the temple, much of it was sacrificial. So it was, you know, offering up uh, first fruit of your crop or your animals to be sacrificed to God for atonement of sin or a peace offering or what have you. But a portion of that was to be given to the people of Levi, the tribe of Levi. There was a temple tax that was designed to pay for the upkeep of the temple. Well, who got paid? But the Levites. They were the priestly tribe. They were the ones that took care of the temple and the people to make atonement for them, to, to work with them for purification and all the different attributes of the temple. Okay? But the offering was brought to God. The offering was brought to God and then God, in his blessing, bestowed uh, support to the priestly tribe. That's the way it was supposed to be. Now, that's the formal tithe. Old Testament tithe under law. Jesus speaks of this in the Gospels. However, many hold that the formal tithe was under the law of Moses. So when Jesus establishes the new covenant in his blood, when he dies on the cross and rises again, that kind of abolishes the law, finishes the law. Over, you know, it, it, He lived it perfectly. He fulfilled the law. So this idea of a formal tithe died. It's no longer applicable to those of us who believe in faith on the work of the of Jesus Christ to pay the debt of sin. Okay? According to Thomas Schreiner, who's professor of New Testament interpretation and associate dean of scripture and interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, I quote an article at the end of the article. He says, even though tithing isn't required today, again, because that's Old Testament law, it does not follow that believers should hoard their possessions. We are commanded to support those who preach the gospel. And then he quotes Matthew ch chapter 10, 10, Luke 10, 7, 1 Corinthians 9, 6 through 14, 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. He goes on, and while we should enjoy the things God gives us, we are also called to be generous to those in need. He quotes 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. He goes on, wealth can so easily become an idol, leading us to abandon the Lord. Since God is to be our treasure, believers are to give generously and freely. For many in the West, that'd be us, folks. For many in the West, this, this will mean giving more than 10%. Still, Scripture doesn't command Christians to give a tenth as Scripture, no tradition. I'm sorry, as Scripture, not tradition, is our rule and authority. Okay, so why does he say uh, for those in the West, this means giving more than 10%? Well, the fact of the matter is the West is pretty wealthy. 
Though we may live in a very expensive community, I live in Southern California. California's got some of the highest tax rates and, and it's oppressive, but I make good money. I'm blessed. God has blessed me. And because of that, I can give more than just flat 10%. I'm speaking for myself. So, and I think uh, Thomas is, you know, I think he's, he's, a, he's right in general that the, the West is a, is a very wealthy country. So we should be able to give more than 10%. Now, I'll also agree with him that money is an idol to many of us. We don't want to part with our money. Don't mess with my money. And that, brothers and sisters, is a sin. Biblically speaking, it's not your money. It's God's money, and he's loaned it to you. He's given it to you. So ironically, as we give back to him in an offering, he doesn't need it. (laughs) It was his money in the first place. But we are trusting him. We are trusting him that he will cause it to bear more fruit than we would for his kingdom, not ours. This is selfless, not selfish. Okay? So I want to ask all of you to pray diligently for your pastors and your churches, for all pastors and churches, that God would revive them, that God would revive the church, that God would bring revival across the the country and across the world, especially now, especially now. Brothers and sisters, this is our opportunity to reach out to the hurting. As Jude says, snatch those that are destined to the fire and save them. We are called to do that. We are gifted by God to do that. Of all times, an epidemic, a pandemic, when people are fearful and, and, and uh, losing their jobs and, and hurting, we should be loving them, loving them, loving them to Jesus Christ. So I'm begging you, pray. Pray for your churches, your pastors. And pray that the God of the harvest would send workers into the harvest field in order to bring a harvest into himself. Remember, we do not change the heart. God does. And we, we know he is the, the Lord of the harvest. But we're told by Jesus himself, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up workers to go into the harvest field. That's you and me, folks. Those that are called and gifted for evangelism and going out into the harvest field. But every one of us are commanded to make disciples of all nations through the giftedness that we've been given. But I digress. Let us get back into the topic of our passage. Paul himself uh, talks a lot about finances. And in 2 Corinthians, um, he had clearly had a dialogue with the Corinthian church a year earlier, as we will read, about gathering money, a gift offering to the Macedonian church because they were in need. And he made that need aware to them. And the Corinthian church stepped up and said, oh, yeah, we're on. We'll do that. So we pick up in the letter, 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 1, where Paul is trying to exhort them that, hey, it's coming close to me coming to get the money. I just want to make sure you're on top of it because I'm I'm boasting about it to a lot of people and I don't want to look embarrassed and I don't want you guys to be embarrassed. So he we pick up and he says, There is no need for me to write to you about the service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. 
and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give. In your enthusiasm, <clears throat> excuse me, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge you to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as a grudgingly given gift. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly also reaps sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What a passage. What a passage. So in this episode, I hope you hear my message. In the first episode, it was to meet together in person. That is something that the believers are commanded and encouraged to do. But clearly, if you're sick or exposed to any disease that's very infectious or something like that, it's more loving to not expose the brothers and sisters. So in that case, as I said earlier, call upon the elders. That's what scripture says. If you're very sick and you need healing, call upon the elders to lay hands on you and, and anoint you with oil and pray. So being loving to one another, it doesn't mean that you, I got to obey the command, we got to meet in person, and you expose everybody, okay? But in context of our article, to simply find it easier to stay home and watch church online and not get up and get dressed and drive all the way down to the church and fellowship with all those people and all this stuff, that isn't a good godly heart. That's not a right attitude. If you're transformed by the Holy Spirit, you should have a hunger and desire to fellowship with brothers and sisters and to worship God together and exalt Him. So to purpose to stay home and not go back to church in person is giving the enemy a foothold. Remember, Satan wants nothing more than to destroy God's family, just like he wants nothing more than to destroy your and my family. He's a murderer. He's been a murderer from the beginning. And as for giving, if your church is in financial hurting, uh, a financially hurting position and you are able to give, listen to my words, and you're able to give, you're not without a job and all that kind of stuff, and you don't give, that is likely sin. Scripture says, if you know the good you ought to do and do not do it, that is sin. 
Now, I've already gone through. If there are real biblical reasons you're concerned, those should be addressed. You should be going forward and addressing them in love with the hope of restoration. And if after, you know, just like Matthew 18 says, they go to them, they bring some witnesses. If they still don't repent, then there's excommunication or you may have to leave and find another church. Okay. So if your f church is financially hurting and you're, you are able to give and you believe the pastor or leaders are anointed by God and faithfully discharging the, their biblical duty, prayerfully support them with what you believe is right to give. God loves a cheerful giver. And ask God to protect and support the church. But also remember, church buildings? That's not part of this. And, and in fact, those can become idols. Look how beautiful the church is. It's no different than the Old Testament Jewish temple. It became an idol. Remember the book of Acts. They met together in people's houses. They met in synagogue. Okay, granted. But they were kicked out of those synagogues because they taught about Jesus Christ. So they found other ways to meet. So it's not essential that you have a church building. In fact, we are the church building. What's essential is that you come together on the foundation, which is Christ. And you work with one another, hold each other solid, just like blocks put together in a building. You don't go your own way or it disrupts the whole foundation, the whole structure, integri structural integrity. Granted, God is in control. He will not let his church fail. But I'm talking to you as an individual. So we need to come together supporting one another, loving one another, building one another up, praying that God would have mercy on his church, his leadership, the government, the world, and that we would let our light shine before men, that they would see our good deeds and give glory to God. Love you guys. Be blessed. I appreciate you joining me today for this episode. Please follow the channel and share it with others and join me for the next post. Until then, be blessed.